Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody tonight. If you have your Bible, please open it up to the book of Hosea. If you're wondering where that book is, it's right after the book of Daniel, where we've been the past couple weeks. So we're going to be in the book of Hosea tonight. And so when you get there, turn to Hosea chapter 2. Disney World. We're all familiar with it. To a young child, it's the happiest place on earth. To an adult, it's the most expensive place on earth. And uh, a few years ago, Angela and I, we were dating and um, went to Disney World with her family. They live uh, just down the road from Disney World. And so we're hanging out. We're having a good time. And um, we decided that we were going to see the afternoon parade. And I saw these incredible Mickey Mouse balloons. It's the coolest balloon. I said, I want to buy a balloon for Angela. And so um, uh, there was a lot of crowds, and so I made my way through all the third graders, and I found the balloon guy. It's going to be the coolest balloon Angela had ever received. And so I get there, and I see how much the balloon is and how much I have, and I have to do the walk of shame back through the third graders, tell Angela and her family that Mickey Mouse is involved with price gouging. His balloons are too expensive. And so didn't get a balloon. Fast forward a few years on December 26, 2011, Uh, back at Disney World with Angela. We're having a good time. But I went with one mission. I have one mission. That was the only reason I went there. And it's Disney World. I learned that day. The reason it's called Disney World is because literally the whole world was there that day, the day after Christmas. It was like a corn maze. It was everywhere except it wasn't corn. It was people. So I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. And we're getting to where we're going. And we'd been on the rides, had a good time. And we decided, hey, we're going to see the afternoon parade. And so we make our way there. The magical Disney people are clearing out the roads. And people are sitting on the sides preparing. And I convince Angela, hey, let's get one of the Disney workers, the photographers that wander around. Let's get one of them to take our picture. And so um, I convinced her to do that. We get a photographer. We go out into this road that's just been cleared. There's people lining up the road. They're waiting for this parade to start. We've got the castle at our back, the photographer at our front, looking at our smiling faces. The world was watching. As the photographer started to take a picture, I got down on one knee. I know. And I asked Angela a question. That would change her life and mine. And I said, Angela, will you marry me? And so we had cheers with the people that were, uh, that were nearby. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Angela said no at the time. No, I'm just kidding. She, obviously, she said yes. She did say yes. And then eight months later, um, we got married. Got married in Winter Haven, Florida. The reason I tell you that story is because when we come to the book of Hosea, we see in chapter 1, in verse 2 and 3, the beginning of a marriage. But this marriage is a little different than what you and I would think. We see that there's a man named Hosea, he's a prophet, and God tells him, I want you to marry Gomer. Now, Miss Gomer didn't have the name thing going with her, but she also had some, some other things going on. If we look at verse 2, we see this in chapter 1. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Interesting, very interesting. You see, what God was telling Hosea in chapter 1, verse 2, is that I want you to go marry this woman, but this woman is going to be unfaithful to you. Now think about that. So uh, Hosea is going to marry Miss Gomer, but Miss Gomer is going to be unfaithful. Essentially, she's going to become a harlot, a prostitute. 
And Hosea is going to go through with this. You know, there's not a single person in this room that's not been affected by divorce. And we know that a lot of times divorce takes place as a result of an affair, adultery. And we know that um, whether it be your parents, your grandparents, or some friends' parents, that that has affected you, has affected me. There's people in my family that's taken place, and there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hurt. There's rejection. And what we see ultimately is that Hosea is going to marry a woman that is going to reject him. It's going to be unfaithful to him. And just as you and I have experienced this, some of you personally, maybe your own parents, and you know the hurt of that, and it still hurts to this day, some of you. Maybe even you feel like you were personally rejected because of that. Now imagine you found a guy or a girl, I know some of you are dating and it's your wedding day and you stand there and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, just so you know, before you say I do, this person's gonna be unfaithful to you. This person's gonna cheat on you, they're gonna reject you. Most of us in this room would think twice about saying I do if we knew that that was gonna come true. But that's where we see Hosea. And we see that God tells him to marry this woman And what we see in the Old Testament, if you know anything about the Old Testament prophets, that oftentimes God calls them to do some very strange and bizarre things. I won't get into all those. If you look at some of the prophets and what God commands, there's some absolutely crazy things. And this is another crazy moment. Hosea may be wondering, hey, why is this going on? You may be wondering, why in the world would God do this? But we see in the second part of verse 2, again, chapter 1, we're working our way to Chapter two says, for the land, talking about the people that live in the land, the people of Israel, for the land has committed great harlotry. Talking about prostitution, but but not just a moral thing, talking about they've turned their back on God. They were once following God, but they've now rejected their first love, if you will. And so we see that the land is now a land of unfaithfulness and that they have departed from the Lord. And so what we see is that in chapter one, God tells Hosea to marry Gomer because this was going to picture God's relationship to his people. God tells Hosea, marry her, but know this, she's gonna be unfaithful. And Gomer represents the people of Israel, a people that God rescued and redeemed, but ultimately they're unfaithful. They turned their back on God, they rejected God. They stopped following him, they were worshiping other gods. They were doing things that God said, hey, don't do this. God wanted them to be on this particular path, but they took a different direction. And the reality is, is that we live in a day and age where faithful people are a minority. Faithful marriages are a minority. We see it in the news all the time where even people in ministry, pastors of of mega churches, where they fall into adultery. It's a lack of faithfulness. It's a lack of faithfulness to God, a lack of faithfulness to one's family, a lack of faithfulness to one's church. We see where even in our own lives, we've had friends that have been unfaithful to us. Maybe you've dated somebody that wasn't faithful to you. Maybe you've had a friend that you thought you were close, but then you found out that they were talking about you behind their back. And these things, if we're not careful, they actually creep into our relationship with God because we start looking at God with our human lens. And we start seeing the unfaithfulness around us. We start seeing unfaithful people. Maybe we even see in our own life the unfaithfulness that we've been uh, towards our friends or other people, and we begin to wonder, is God going to be faithful? How can I know that God will always love me? 
Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've been trying to follow God to the best of your ability. But how is it that you know that God will always love you? How do you know that God's not going to stop loving you? I believe we find the answer to this question in the book of Hosea. And I wanna give you three truths tonight. And these three truths will answer that question. How can I know that God will always love me? And so in chapter two, we're gonna focus on verses 14 through 23. But before we get to verse 14, we see in verses one through 13 that God's people are living this adulterous lifestyle Now, at the beginning, when Hosea begins his his ministry as a prophet, we actually see that God's people are prospering. They're doing really good. So things are going well, but their issue is that they've stopped remembering that the God that, that rescued them was the God that called them to follow after him and to trust him. What we see is that they've turned to other gods. They're doing things that are wicked, that are immoral. They're doing things that are not pleasing, And so we see that actually God pours out his wrath. He punishes their sin. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter six, verse seven. We see, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You see, God is a God of love, but he's also a God that is not okay being mocked. He's not okay when there are people that profess to know God, but they don't live for God. We have a lot of that in our culture where there's people that claim to follow Christ, but when you look at their life, there's no fruit there. There's no fruit there. Maybe we have a, 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 a passage or a verse in our Instagram or Twitter bio, but in reality, you see some of the things that people are posting, and you're like, this doesn't line up. And we see that in the book of Hosea where there's a people who are, who are basically uh, spiritual prostitutes. They've turned their back on God. But what we see is that after God pours out his judgment, after he lets them know, hey, this is not right, he gets their attention. And many of us have been there before. Maybe we we were in a season of rebellion and we've, we've, we've understood that the hand of God, the correcting hand of God on our life and how he corrects us and he chastens us, he puts us back on that path. And what we see with this in mind in verse 14 is this. Therefore... And I'll say this, therefore, again, looking back at what we just described in verses 1 through 13, the the unfaithfulness of God's people, and then God pouring out his wrath, we then see that God does something. Therefore, behold, I will allure, or I will speak tenderly to her. Now, the her right here is the people of Israel. So we see that, that God is talking. He says, I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there. Talking about God's provision, God's gonna provide for them. He's gonna take care of their needs. And the Valley of Achor as a door of hope. The Valley of Achor was a place where, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's a guy named Achan, he sinned against God, the land was cursed. So this is a place that once was cursed is now gonna be a place of hope. Says she, talking about the people of Israel, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Israel. Now here's point one, if you're taking notes, whether notepad, a phone, God initiates the relationship. That's the first thing. God initiates the relationship. Have you ever tried to initiate a relationship with somebody? Maybe there was somebody that you wanted to date 
and you saw him across the room or across the campus, kind of check your breath, kind of wish you wouldn't have the onions at the lunch special, you pop a piece of gum in your mouth, a mint, your, your palms are getting a little sweaty, you're like, I'm gonna go talk to this person. But you're nervous, and why are you nervous? It's because you're nervous that you might be rejected. They might say no to you, they may not be interested in you, but look at this, this is interesting. Look at verse 15, because God reminds us in verse 15 that he's the one that brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. God chose a group of people. Look at Deuteronomy chapter, chapter seven, verse six. Just write that down if you're taking notes and check it out later, but listen to what Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six says. For you are a holy people to the Lord. Talking about the children of Israel. It's not talking about them being perfect, but, but God chose them and set them apart. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love uh, on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people for you were the least of all the people. So what God's saying is, listen, I didn't choose you because of how good you were, how strong you were, how good you looked. I chose you because I'm a God of love and I care for you. He says, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. Talking about when God redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt, he redeemed them. Get this, this is a group of slaves, a group of weak slaves, and yet God chooses them and says, you're gonna be my people, a special people, a set-apart people, a holy people. And we see at the end of verse eight, he says, redeemed from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of ideas. So we see that God was actually the one that initiated the relationship with the people of Israel. We see that God initiated the relationship with Abraham. And we see that as that lineage comes down, when the people of Israel are trapped and they're in bondage, that God continues to initiate that relationship. And hundreds of years later, we get to the book of Hosea and we see that there are these same people that God chose, that God initiated a relationship with, that these people have turned their back on God. But what's crazy is that God knew that they were gonna do that. God chose them and he knew that they were gonna reject him. He knew that. But what we see is that God is initiating this relationship and we see the language that is used in verse 14 and, and in verse 15. But what this reminds me of is that God is the God that also initiated the relationship with you and with me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God initiated that relationship with you. Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. This is a passage that me and Angela have been trying to memorize the past few weeks. And listen to what it says. Titus chapter three, verse three. For we ourselves were also once foolish. You ever done anything foolish? I know I have. And it says foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But get this. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, 
He saved us. Do you get that? Do you see the language here that God is choosing? He's initiating. It's not based on the works you did. It's not because you came to church a lot. It's not because you sang some Christian songs or it's not because of that. We see that it's because of God's mercy. It says through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So just as we see that God initiated the relationship with the people of Israel, we see that the God that we serve is the God that initiated the relationship that I have with him, the one that you have with him. And if you're a believer, you need to, you need to take, take hold of that idea and trust that because you see, God will not stop loving you because he's the one that actually initiated the relationship with you. We see in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, it says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In the next chapter in Ephesians, chapter two, verse four and five, it says, but God, again, I would encourage you to pay attention when you see those but God moments. Somebody said it this way, if it were not for God's but, where would mine be? This idea that, listen, these but God moments, they are in there and they're these transformation moments. Some of y'all are just now getting that. We see it. So listen to this, Ephesians chapter two, verse four and five, but God who's rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy, it's abundant. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Do you see God, is, he's initiating it. He's pouring out his mercy. He's pouring out his love. First John chapter four, verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. He's a God that initiates relationships. And see, we can trust that God will continue to love us because God is the one that initiated the relationship. And that relationship's not based on how good of a person you would be or not how hard you tried. God didn't look down and say, hey, this person's trying really hard to be really good, so I'm gonna save that person. When we look at the people of Israel, we see that he saved a weak people. People that were slaves, but we see that God initiated the relationship. But if we continue to look, we see that God doesn't just initiate the relationship and leave it like that because we know that there are a lot of people, maybe in your own life or in your friend's life, where they may have initiated a relationship, but that's all they did. We see that God doesn't just initiate the relationship, he invests in the relationship. He invests. See, we see a lot of failed marriages or even fail dating relationships because there's one party that fails to invest into the relationship. Fail to invest, fail to put something about what we see here in, in, in this passage in verse 14 through 23, we see that there are many different things God is doing. There are two words that stick out to me in this passage and I want you to see if you can figure out what they are. Starting in verse 14, I will allure her. This is God speaking. I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. Verse 15, I will give her. Verse 17, I will take from her mouth the names of Baals. Verse 18, I will make a covenant. Verse 19, I will betroth you. Or This is engagement language. It's even stronger than engagement language. We see again in verse, uh, verse 20, I will betroth you. Verse 21, I will answer. Verse 23, I will sow her for myself. I will have mercy on her. I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. Do you see the, the, the work of God 
how he's the one that's he's the one that's moving. He's the one pouring out mercy. He's the one pouring out compassion. He's the one pouring out love. And that same God that did it for the people of Israel is the same God that does it for you and I. He's the one that pours out his love on you. He's the one that reaches down and, and grabs you and says, I want you to be my child. Verse 19 specifically shows us that God is committed as he speaks of this, this betrothal, this engagement language. But again, it's more than just engagement because we see all the time broken engagements. But in, but in Bible times, in this particular time period, this betrothal moment was one that if you were to cancel it, if it were to be broken off, that it would almost be as significant as somebody getting a divorce during our time. And what we read in verse 19, it says this, yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Notice what God is offering to this group of people. He's offering him his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his love. We see these different things. And what we see is that in this particular time period that there would be a bride price that was paid that if a young man or if a man wanted to marry a woman, they would, they would enter this engagement moment, but the, the man would, would pay a price that would create this marriage agreement. And the price that we see that God is paying is he's paying his righteousness. He's paying his faithfulness. These are things that he is investing into this relationship. And what we need to understand is that your relationship with God, that God is the one that he's investing. He's investing into that relationship. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. There was a price that was paid. What we see in the book of Hosea is that Gomer ultimately is unfaithful to Hosea. She turns her back. She finds other lovers. But God tells Hosea, hey, buy her back. So he goes and he buys back Gomer. And what we see is that you and I have been bought with a price. The price that was paid was the blood of Jesus. Jesus died so that you and I could have life. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Hosea redeemed Gomer with corruptible things, with material things, but we know that you and I, we're not redeemed with things that corrupt. What we, what we see is that, that um, in verse 19 of 1 Peter 1, it says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What we see is that Jesus is the one who has purchased us. He is, he's paid the price for us. We have been bought. We have been purchased. Again, there's been an investment that has been made. God has been investing. He's been pouring out his love. We see his, his righteousness, his faithfulness. You see, we can be sure that God will always love because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And if God stopped loving you, then that would suggest that God's son died in vain. But we know that Jesus' death was not in vain, but that on that cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine, and you were purchased, you were bought. See, God is a God that invests into relationships. And the last thing that we see, and we see this is that God enjoys the relationship. It's an interesting thought. 
God enjoys the relationship. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say to you, you are my God. You see, this verse indicates that God is gonna plant his people, the people that were unfaithful. He's gonna go back after them. He's going to plant them in the promised land, the land that he's promised to Abraham and Isaac and and their descendants. He's gonna plant them in that ground. He's gonna put them back there, and he says this. He says, I will sow her, talking about the people people of Israel, I will sow her for myself. We see that that God is doing this and we see the enjoyment that he has in this passage. And and even in verse 14 and 15, the language that we see here, God is not mindlessly going after these people. He's not emotionlessly going after these people. We see that in Jesus, when Jesus shows up on the New Testament, we see that Jesus gets very emotional at times. We see when he goes into the temple and they're making a mockery of the temple, he gets very upset, righteous indignation turns over the tables. We see at the death of Lazarus, Jesus is weeping. We see when he looks out on the people and he sees that there is a people without a shepherd, he has compassion on them. So we know that that God is a God that has emotions. We see that in scripture, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of creating sorrow. So God is not mindlessly going after his people as if he is heartless. Imagine the emotion that is involved in this, where God is pursuing a people lovingly. And the language here shows us that God is enjoying this relationship. He's enjoying loving his people. Verse 14 says, I will allure her. I'm gonna speak tenderly to her. He's enjoying that. We see in verse 15 uh, and 16, in verse 16 we see that, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Again, this language of God enjoys being in a relationship with his creation. We see at the beginning of the Bible when God created and he looks at it and he says, this is good. See, God enjoys this relationship. And we need to understand, you need to understand, I need to understand that God enjoys being in a relationship with you. That there may be something going on in your life where you feel like you've messed up, you feel like you've blown it, but you need to realize that, that God enjoys being in a relationship with you. He's not going to stop loving you. Yes, just as he punished the people of Israel, we can expect that God will punish us when we make mistakes. He would not be a good, holy God if he did not correct his children and make sure that they get back on the path. But what we see is that God's punishment, his chastening, his correction for his people is so that they will come back to him. What we see is that God is a God that enjoys relationships. Zephaniah three seventeen. It's become one of my favorite verses. Zephaniah three seventeen says this: The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. God likes to rejoice over his people. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You and I need to understand that God enjoys being in a relationship with you. And if you're a believer, you need to be confident that God's commitment to you is secure. Even though there's there's relationships all around us where there's unfaithfulness, there's a lack of commitment, there's people that will turn their back on you, 
People that you thought you were friends with, they'll leave you. Uh, maybe uh, your parents, um, you've experienced that just as we've been talking, maybe. I don't know what it is. The world around us is going in a, in a strange direction. It's a direction that's been going for, for thousands of years since Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. But what we can be confident in is that even though Adam and Eve started this trend of unfaithfulness to God, that God continues to be faithful to his people. And if you're in this room, you have something to rejoice about because the God that you and I serve is the God that rejoices over you. And so just as we've walked through these different things, I don't know where you are. If you're a Christian in this room, maybe you're in a season right now where if you look at your life, it kind of looks like the life of the people of the children of Israel. Or maybe it looks like Gomer, where, yeah, there was this relationship and maybe, maybe you began to follow Christ, but you've now turned your back on him. It's very easy for us, very easy for myself when I mess up, when I make a mistake, to question God, do you still love me? Am I still saved? That idea of us trying to earn our salvation, of working to earn God's love. But what we see in this passage is that, that God initiates the relationship. He invests into it. He enjoys it. And we can be confident that God is not a God that's going to stop loving. He's a God that's going to continue to pour out on, on us his love, his goodness, his kindness. And so I want you to begin to think right now of where you are. I'm gonna ask that Tanner go, go ahead and come on up in just a moment. We're gonna go into a time of singing, but I want you to evaluate where you are right now because if you're a believer, where are you? Have you been in that season where maybe you've not fully been going after God, you've been going towards the things of the world? I want you to know that forgiveness is found in Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we are faithful and just, uh, if, excuse me, if we confess our sins, he, talking about God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you find yourself right now where you're in a position where you've been rebelling against God, you've turned your back on God, you've gone in a different direction, know that there's forgiveness that's found. But what God calls us to do, he calls us to repent, to turn from that sin and to turn to the Savior. And when we find, when we repent, when we run back to God, just as the prodigal son ran back to his father, that God welcomes us with open arms and he rejoices over us. And what's interesting is that when we find ourselves back in the arms of our father, that everything that we wanted, everything that we longed for was actually not found in the things that we were running after in the world, but it was actually found in our father. That the most satisfaction, the most life was found in him. The most joy, the most peace was found in the arms of him. But there may be some of you here tonight that as we've walked through this brief passage and you know, we've begun thinking about this, that you know deep down inside of you that you don't have that relationship. You've actually never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you've come to church a lot, maybe you haven't. But you've never put your trust in Christ and so you actually don't have a relationship with him. But I want you to know tonight that God actually wants to have a relationship with you. And he's actually begun to initiate a relationship with you. You say, Madison, how is that? Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a sinless life, to die a death that you and I deserve. God's word says that we're all sinners. Every single one of us, we've sinned against him. And we deserve to pay the price for our sin, but Jesus paid it for us. And so if you're in this room and you're questioning, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I have a relationship with him or not. 
I don't know if I've ever put my faith and trust in Christ because all I've been doing my whole life is trying to earn my salvation, trying to work towards it, trying to earn God's love. What we see is we can never earn God's love. The people of Israel, as they're in bondage and slavery, they could never earn God's love. God chose them even though they were a slave. And what we see is that God chooses you and I, even though we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're, we're as bad as, as we could be, and yet God says, hey, I want you, and so he sent his son. And so what we see is that if we receive the gift of salvation, that we can have life. When Gomer got married, she didn't do anything to deserve that marriage. Hosea just simply poured out his love on her. God continues to pour out his love on you and I, and it's a free gift. We call it grace. We talk about grace and mercy. Grace being a, a gift we don't deserve, being, mercy being not getting what we do deserve. And each and every one of us deserves damnation. We deserve to be damned because of our sin, to be sent and cast away from God's presence. But God comes after us. He initiates that relationship with us. And if you're in this room and you don't have that relationship, I want you to know that you can have that tonight. In Revelation chapter uh, 22, verse 17, we see in the spirit and the bride say, come. Say, come. Continue to look at that verse. It says, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. We see that we live in a world where people are thirsty, spiritually thirsty. And people think that drugs, alcohol, sex, money, toys, cars, houses, whatever it is, people think that that will fulfill that spiritual thirst. But what we see is that only Jesus Christ will fulfill our spiritual thirst. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And so Jesus has initiated that relationship. He has paid the price, but he's saying, hey, I wanna give you this gift. And he's saying, will you take it? And so my question to you tonight is, if you don't have that relationship, will you receive that? Will you receive this free gift? You say, Madison, what do I have to do to, to earn this? No, 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 no. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You simply receive it. Remember, God is the one that pours his love, his mercy, his compassion out on us. But what we forget is that it's not something that's earned. We try and earn it. We try and labor for it. And so I want us to just simply bow our heads right now. And with our eyes bowed, excuse me, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I want to ask you a question. I know, we can laugh. That's funny. I want to ask you a question. If you're in this room and you know for a fact that you don't have a relationship with Christ, or maybe you're just wondering, you, you don't know. Some of you may know for a fact, man, I don't have a relationship at all, but some of us were like, man, I don't know. I want to ask you to do something that's going to take a lot of courage. I'm going to ask that you would stand up if you don't know that you have a relationship with Christ. Say, Madison, there's a lot of people in here. People might look at me. Nobody's looking around. But what Jesus is saying to you is he's saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. And so if that's you right now, you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you want one, I want you to stand up. For those of us in this room that are believers, I think now as we go into this next song that, that it would be a, a, a great time to reflect on God's love and to remind ourselves of the gospel. Just as we sang earlier, we celebrated in, in the gospel as we proclaimed what that was. I want you to be reminded of what the gospel is. You see, we see a picture of the gospel in the book of Hosea of God pouring out his love on a people that don't deserve it. And if you're a believer tonight, I want you to be reminded of that. And the response is,
to rejoice in it. We see in Psalms 105, let those that, let the heart rejoice for the one that seeks after God, for the one that belongs to God. If you're a believer, you have something to rejoice about. You have a message that this world needs to hear. We prayed earlier over these different countries that need to hear the very message that we talk about each and every week. What is it that God wants you to do with this message? Is there somebody in your life that he wants you to share it with? Is there somebody in a class? Is there somebody at work? And so if you're a believer right now, I want you to begin to evaluate where you are. Understand that there's forgiveness found at the feet of Jesus. And so as we move into this time, I wanna make myself available to you. Angela, we're gonna be over here off to the side. If you need to talk to me, if you need to talk to Angela, if there's something going on in your life and you do not know a way out, there's an addiction, there's a struggle, there's a problem, you know it's not right, you haven't told anybody, know that we're here for you. We wanna pray for you. We don't wanna judge you. We see that Jesus didn't come to judge, he came to save. And so during this time, we're about to reflect on what we've heard. And I would ask that if there's something going on in your life and you need to talk to somebody, please talk to me. Know that this altar is open where you can come and you can simply pray and pour your heart out to God. You can pray in your seat. You can pray in the back. But I want you to take advantage of this time. And if you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do not leave this place tonight without talking to me, Angela, somebody in this room about what that looks like.